Now that you uh, are comfortable in your seats, I'm going to have you stand back up. In honor of uh, the reading of God's Word, uh, and and we recognize that for some of you uh, it may be difficult uh, to stand, and so just in the posture of your heart, uh, if you... Uh, we, we revere the word of the Lord and are grateful for the gift that it is. So we're going to continue in Luke's uh, gospel this morning, this last Sunday of 2023. Beginning with verse 22, Luke, Luke writes these words. Luke 2, beginning with verse 22. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was a prophet or prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying, coming up to them at, at that very moment. She gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So real quick, let me tell you where we are heading the next... uh, couple of weeks. Next Sunday is Epiphany Sunday, and so we will get to enjoy the poinsettias. Lord willing, so far it's a Christmas miracle. They have survived this long, but we'll get to enjoy those and the lights on the tree one more Sunday and, and celebrate Epiphany Sunday. And I think it's a, a perfect Sunday for us to follow this passage that we are going to be in in Luke's gospel this morning because it's an opportunity for us. And I want to go ahead and prime the pump and invite you to consider and begin praying as, as we enter into this week and as you start a new year Is Jesus the Lord of your life? He is Savior to all, whether you have received Him as Savior or not. And and I pray that you have. And if you haven't, and you feel like the Lord has been tugging on your heart, and you want to talk to somebody about that, I would love to talk to you, Pastor Ed, any of our staff. That's That's one of our favorite things to talk about. And while we can name and know that Jesus is Savior to all, whether we say yes to that truth or not, we then... For those of us who consider ourselves followers of Christ are invited to wrestle with whether or not Jesus is Lord of our life. 
Brother, we would bring our treasures and bow down and worship him in the way that we will see the wise men do uh, next week. So that's next week, Epiphany Sunday. And then following that, uh, we're going to spend three Sundays looking um, at, at John Wesley's understanding of grace in a series that we're calling Grace Charged World. And we are so excited about that. To have a deep understanding of God's grace that has been at work before we ever realize it, uh, that is at work in our lives, lives um, the moment that we say yes to life with Jesus and, and is at work in our lives making us more like him in this world. So as you can see, uh, for the next several weeks, it's all about Jesus. Amen? Amen. That's good news for us. So that's where we're going, uh, but where we are this morning is in continuing uh, in, in Luke's gospel and, and looking at another one of these snapshots that, uh, that Luke gives us. Of, uh, and this is Jesus still as, as a baby. He, he would be uh, like six weeks old at this point that, that Mary and Joseph uh, take him to the temple to present him and offer him to the Lord and for Mary uh, to receive the purification rites. And you think, well, why, why is this in here? And then let me remind us, and I read this on Christmas Eve, but I just think it's so important for us. Just Let me go back and read just a few verses at the beginning of Luke's gospel. Luke writes, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Now, it was believed that Luke spent time with Paul on his missionary journeys, and while Paul was imprisoned, uh, Luke was in the area that is um, Palestine and spent uh, a few years there, likely. And so in that time, Luke had the opportunity to examine and to explore for himself the things that he had heard. Not that he had necessarily been eyewitness to, but the things that he had been told. And, and one of our values as a, as a church is that we are a place where we're willing to ask hard questions. You don't arrive at an account of Jesus' life like Luke has written for us and then follow that with an account of uh, what, what we have as the book of Acts, uh, an, ac- an account of the apostles or an account of the work of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. You don't arrive at those two works which Luke has, has written, has given for us uh, without being willing to ask some hard questions. So in his investigation of these things, Luke has seen it important to record the things for us that he has recorded because he, he heard it and he wanted to investigate it for himself. And I encourage all of you, I mean, we, we are going to do our best, myself and Pastor Ed, our pastoral staff, anybody who stands up here and opens the word before you, we are going to do our best to faithfully represent what is captured and what is written for us in God's word. But our hope, more than anything, is that it does something in your heart that makes you want to know more, that makes you want to lean in and to examine these things uh, for your own life. So that's where we find ourselves. Uh, Luke has presented for us just another snapshot of Jesus as a child. And, and why, why is this important? And we're going to talk about what, um, <clears throat> what Simeon says uh, to Mary because that's, it's important. It's critical for our understanding and, and Luke's understanding of who Jesus is. Uh, but we also want to look at the posture of Simeon and Anna. And there are th- some things, and you've, you've heard me say this before, but there are some things in Scripture that for us are prescriptive. Right, like you, we should do this. We should do this 
thing because God is asking us in His Word to do this thing. But then there are other things in Scripture that are descriptive. It's describing for us something that has happened. And what we see in the lives of Simeon and Anna is a description of who they are and their faithfulness, right? But not so that we can look at it and say, oh, that was great for them, but so that we might examine our own lives and say, how can my life become more like those faithful lives that we see represented in Simeon and Anna? And, and here's why that's important. There is, there is a thing in this world, like a real feeling, and maybe some of you have experienced this. And it, it's, it's like the term I'm going to use is holiday letdown, right? There's all of this buildup. And, and for us in the church, like we spend four weeks, and this Again, I've said this, this Advent was a little weird. We, we kind of got hijacked because the fourth Sunday of Advent was also Christmas Eve, so, so we lost a week of Advent. Um, but but there's, we spend four weeks, four Sundays, anticipating and building up and focusing our attention in on this, this thing that happened, this event, this life-changing, world-changing like this event that, that history is marked by in the birth of Jesus, the entrance of the Savior into the world. And there's great celebration. And, and gosh, if you were at any of our Christmas Eve uh, services, then what, what a treat, what a, what a gift to be able to come together. Because it feels like in that moment, like, hey, we did it. We, we, we accomplished what we hoped would be accomplished. Now, for this moment in time, we're all focused in on, on the arrival of Jesus into the world. And in many ways, the world is focused in on the arrival of Jesus. There are people who are considering this or who are in churches that, that aren't in church any other time of the year. But for that moment, they, they come. And they lean in and they focus in on the fact that something happened. This child was born who will go on to be savior of the world. And and so it just feels like we did it. So there's the kind of the the anticipation and the lead up to, to Christmas and the life of the church. But then there's that... Like in our families, I mean, there's, there's the preparation that goes into, you know, preparing for Sunday morning, and if you're a family that has children, then maybe you spent, you know, meticulous time, like ahead of time, there, there were lists and there were ideas, and you paid attention to everything that was said, and as you saw something out in the store, or as you had time to sit down and, and shop online, and, you know, you did that, and you, you, like you wrapped those presents beautifully, even if it was just one thing, you just took great care in, in, in doing that. And then, and then Christmas morning comes, and, and it doesn't take long before there's, it's just like carnage and chaos. And, and you're like, what happened to all the beautiful gifts that I wrapped? And, and I didn't see one person like meticulously like remove this piece of tape and take this flap off. It was just like savages. We're just ripping into our gifts. And then we're left with the trash. And if you're a house like ours, you have a dog who also really loves the opening of presents and, and like loves boxes for some reason. So she's doing her part in shredding the boxes in our house. And, and you're just kind of left with, man, that was fun. But now, now what? And, and, and maybe the time with things about that that were really difficult. And so we're just kind of left with this holiday letdown. And, and maybe even left wondering and asking the question, does that even matter or what, what was that for? And does it, does it make a difference? 
that we spent these weeks in Advent leading up to and anticipating and trying to stir this anticipation and and focusing in on, on Jesus and his arrival in this world. And that, that's, that's real. That's a real question. And, and I invite you, you know, if, if, like there's no shame. If you are feeling that or if you have felt that, then there's no guilt there. Because it's likely that you're in good company. And I'm going to even go so far. I'm going to have you, it, it, to some degree, how, how many of you are feeling some sort of like holiday letdown? Oh, just me. Good. Great. <laughs> Y'all are Awesome. <laughs> You're not alone. So I want to begin uh, with this, just a reminder of what happened in that moment, why this is so important. And I, I came across this this week, and I wish Ben were here. Maybe he's, uh, he's listening online. He, he is on his way down to Waynesville to pick up Mary and, and his kids. They've been spending time with uh, her family. So Ben's heading down this morning to pick them up and, and come back. Uh, but this was a poem written by J.R.R. Tolkien, and if you know Ben, you know he is like a Tolkien, Tolkien nerd. I mean, it is like next to Jesus. That's one of the things his heart beats for. Um, <clears throat> this, uh, the title of this poem is called Noel, and it was actually, re- it was actually discovered in 2013 as something that he had written in, in the 1930s, but it was rediscovered in, in 2013. So hear these words from Tolkien. Grim was the world and gray last night, the moon and stars were fled. The hall was dark without song or light, the fires were fallen dead. The wind in the trees was like to the sea and over the mountain's teeth. It whistled bitter cold and free as a sword leapt from its sheath. The Lord of Snows upreared his head, his mantle long and pale. Upon the bitter blast was spread and hung o'er hill and dale. The world was blind, the boughs were bent, all ways and paths were wild. Then the veil of cloud apart was rent, and here was born a child. The ancient dome of heaven sheer was pricked with distant light. A star came shining white and clear, alone above the night. In the dale of dark, in that hour of birth, one voice on a sudden sang. Then all the bells in heaven and earth together at midnight rang. Mary sang in this world below, they heard her song arise, o'er mist and over mountain snow to the walls of paradise. And the tongue of many bells was stirred in heaven's towers to ring, when the voice of mortal maid was heard that was mother of heaven's king. Glad is the world and fair this night with stars about its head, and the hall is filled with laughter and light and fires are burning red. The bells of paradise now ring with bells of Christendom. And Gloria, Gloria, we will sing that God on earth is come. All right, so let's pray. We'll invite our worship team to come back up. What a beautiful capturing of that moment and how it affects the world uh, for us. What was happening in the world, I was just kidding, you guys don't have to come back up yet, unless it's time. Almost. I got a little bit longer. <clears throat> this picture of a silent world, a world waiting, a world pregnant with anticipation and hope. Tolkien captures so beautifully the moment when the darkness was pierced and the mist began to clear and hope entered in. And a reality that we 
as people, the people of God, ought to continue to cling to and continue to remember. And as we are considering, and perhaps some of us find ourselves in this holiday letdown or this holiday lull, asking, what does it mean? Was it all worth it? Because as we experienced and heard in our prayer time, the world is still in pain. There is still darkness. There are places that are desperate for peace. There are people being mistreated. There are lives being lost at the hands of others. And this world doesn't look a whole lot like the kingdom that we have talked about and continue to talk about in the arrival of Christ. And yet in the story of Simeon and Anna, we are encouraged. In fact, I believe we are challenged in our own posture before the promises of God before the promise that we now live in, the promise that now stands for us, and that is that Christ will return, that things are not as they will be, that we find ourselves in the in-between, in the arrival of God with us, Emmanuel, and the establishment and the inauguration of His kingdom and the time when He will return and all things, as Revelation 21 says, all things will be made new. There will be no more mourning or crying or pain or death for God's dwelling will be with His people and they will be His people and He will be their God. And that is the promise of what is to come. And so what is our posture meant to be in the world which doesn't look a whole lot like that promise that we see in Revelation 21? And I believe it is a promise, it is meant to be a posture of faithful expectation, of faithful anticipation, clinging tightly to the hope that God is still at work and that God is still faithful to His promises. So, in, the, in kind of the, the ordinary or in the customary, and I believe that this, this, is, this is so important for us to, to consider in our own lives, right? Many of you, I, I see week in and week out, for many of you, the, the rhythm, the routine for your, your week, your, like the, the way that you live is that, that gathering together with the, the body of Christ, gathering together um, with the church is a part of what you do week in and week out. It's, it's a rhythm. It's something that you've, you've built your life around. And, and then there are times when we can't be here and, and we praise God for the gift of technology and, and the ability to, to stream. And our prayer always is that for those of you who are tuning in online, that, that you feel the presence of the Holy Spirit there where you are, wherever you're watching from in the way that we do in this space. We pray that you feel connected even though we are disconnected by geography. So you've ordered your life this way. This is, this is something that, that is, is important to you. But my, my question for you is, what do you expect each week, week in and week out, when you come and you gather with the people of God and worship, when you gather together with your Sunday school class, when you gather together with your community group, when you practice these things that you feel like are important for your relationship with the Lord, what do you expect? Do you come expecting God to speak? Do you come expecting God to move? Do you, do you come expecting revelation? Or do you just come because it's what you do? Because it's what you've always done. For Simeon and for Anna, it, it becomes very clear in the way that Luke presents these two characters for us that this was something that they had been doing for a long time. The coming to the temple. Mary and Joseph, 
came to the temple because this was what they were supposed to do as God's people. This was what was given in the law of Moses. And so in their faithfulness, they did what was expected. In their faithfulness, they did what was customary. And they did it because they thought that it was the right thing to do and something happened in this moment. Because of the faithfulness of Simeon and because of the faithfulness of Anna, there was a word of encouragement. There was also a word of warning to Mary about the ways that she would have to suffer as the mother of Jesus and the ways that her her heart would be pierced. And and we know that and we see that in in kind of her journey uh, with with Jesus, her journey with Christ. We see her before the cross mourning uh, the loss of her son. And that's foretold to her. But in, in doing the thing that was expected, in the, doing the thing that was customary, they, they met the truth of God in a real way. And it's because of the faithfulness of, of Simeon and Anna. So, so in Simeon and in Anna, you have these two people who ordered their lives around the presence of God. Now, I know that we can say one of the things that has been made possible um, by the reality of what Jesus will go on to accomplish for us or has accomplished uh, for us on the cross, one of the, the things that we read in, in the giving up of his life and, and Jesus saying it is, it is finished and surrendering his spirit um, to his heavenly Father. One of the things that happens is that the veil in the temple is, is rent. It is torn from top to bottom. And this would have been the, the curtain that, that separated um, the Holy of Holies, the place that it was believed the presence of God specifically and explicitly dwelt in the temple. The place that, that the high priest only at certain times of year would go into the Holy of Holies to offer the sacrifices um, for the forgiveness of sins of the people and, and would even do so with like a, a, a sash or a rope tied around them in, in the event that they fainted or or fell out or were struck down by coming face to face with the presence of God so that they could then be dragged back out of there. The the, the veil or the the curtain that separated the presence of God from from essentially the rest of the world was, was torn because in his giving of his life, Jesus makes possible for us to have access to the Father. He is the intermediary. He is the one who goes between. He is the one who makes it possible for us to pray directly to the God of of creation, directly to the God of the universe. And then he he also, in John's gospel, and then again later in Acts, we, we come to this understanding of the work of the Holy Spirit, which Luke mentions here. It's very significant that Luke mentions the Holy Spirit at work in the life of Simeon, and then Luke will go on to write the book of Acts, which really highlights the coming and the giving of the Holy Spirit as the gift to all believers. But the Holy Spirit is the presence of God dwelling in us. Jesus, in in, in his um, last moments with his disciples in John's gospel before he is arrested and before he is tried, makes this promise that, that... that he and the Father will come and they will make their home within us. And, and that happens by the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so I say all of that to say that wherever you are, God is, right? You could, you could say, if, like, I'm, I'm going to go hike the Boone United Trail. Perfect day to do that. Guess who's going with you? Spirit of God. Psalm 139, there was this understanding even then when David wrote this psalm, if I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your, your hand will guide me. If I, and I mean, some of us do this, like in my shame, I'm going to try to make my bed in the, in the depths in the dark because I'm, I, don't want, I don't want you to be with me. Guess who's there with you? Presence of God. There's no place that you can be that God is not. 
right? So, so Mary and Joseph very well could have, and Simeon and Anna very well could have from their homes said, yeah, God, this baby's yours. Simeon could have continued to pray to the Lord. Anna could have continued to be a prophetess in her own home, but then, you know, she's prophesying to the walls and, like, not to actual people. The reason that they went to the temple is because they were hungry for the presence of God. Because for the people of God, it was understood that that was where the presence of God dwelt, was in the temple. This was before the time that the curtain was torn. This was before the time that the presence of God was made available to all people. So we see in Simeon and Anna this hunger for God's presence and this ordering of their lives around seeking to be near God and seeking the presence of God, which I believe, friends, is a, is a great challenge for us. I don't know if you are a resolution person in your life, like a New Year's resolution person, but what a great challenge for us to, as we go through this day and as we prepare to celebrate the turn of the calendar and the beginning of another year to consider, like, what is the degree in your life to which you hunger for the presence of God? Question one, and then part two of that is, what is the degree to which you then orient your life towards seeking the presence of God, towards seeking God's presence to become real in your life, because that's what we see in, in Simeon and Anna, the faithfulness of these two people. Simeon, who is righteous and devout, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. Now, when we hear that word consolation, I think we have, like our understanding of that has been affected by the fact that you get consolation prizes, right? Like, hey, you didn't win, but here's a, here's a ribbon, you know, for you just for participating, um, and, and the reason it's called a consolation prize is it's meant to make us feel better about not winning, right? It's meant to, to, to make us feel good about the fact that we were just there. And that kind of gets at it. I mean, if you were like a kid who was super brokenhearted over not winning and you got a consolation prize and maybe it was like a pack of erasers or something, I, I don't know. Like whatever you get as a, as a, you know, a student when you, you don't win, but you get the consolation prize. The consolation, like that Simeon is talking, or that Luke is talking about here, the consolation that Simeon was waiting for was the, was the comfort of Israel. In Isaiah chapter 40, comfort, comfort. Like God is speaking to Isaiah and says, speak to my people. What do you want me to speak? And God says, tell them, comfort, comfort my people. It's not always going to be this way. Comfort is coming. The one who will make everything right, the one who will heal what is broken, the one who will make new that which is tarnished. Comfort, comfort my people. So Simeon was waiting for the consolation, for the comfort of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit, and, and the way that he experiences this and is attuned to the speaking or to the movement of the Holy Spirit, again, is that he orients his life around seeking the presence of God. He orients his life around seeking the face of God, if you will, around seeking to hear from the Lord. And, and perhaps he did that through worship. It is, it is likely that he did that through the studying of the scriptures and through prayer, orienting his life around these ways that he would experience the nearness of God and, and hear from the Lord. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, 
he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was the custom of the law, what they were just, it was customary for them to do as, as a Jewish uh, mother and father raising a Jewish boy. Simeon took him in his arms. Simeon knew that there was some, this was it. God had told him, promised him, you're not going to leave this earth before you see the deliverer, before you see the means by which Israel will be comforted, before you see the means by which the world will be made right. Imagine what that was like for Mary and Joseph. They're there to do what they're supposed to do, and this, I mean, we assume an elderly gentleman walks up and takes the baby from them. That's like, if you have a newborn, you know, like, people are just, they gravitate toward babies. They're drawn to them because it's like, it's just something pure and beautiful in a world that is not. And Simeon comes up and he, he's, he's not just like, oh, look at this little, I mean, he's, you know, he's not just admiring, he takes the baby. And I, I just, in my mind, when I read this, I'm like, I'm, I picture Lion King, right? Like, ah, oh, like he holds, you know, Jesus. That's just... Probably not what happened, but that's what I picture. But, but Simeon is, is, is moved to declare the faithfulness of God in this moment because he is attuned to the heart of God and declares this is the promise we've been waiting for, not just for Israel, but for all people, for Gentiles alike, which is many of us. Because of God's faithfulness, we too now gather and worship because of what Jesus accomplished for us. And then he, he's very clear about the ministry of Jesus, the raising up of some and the, the falling of others. And we know in Jesus' ministry that those that he was drawn to, those that he had a heart for, were the marginalized, and he raised them up in ways that, that had never been seen in society before. Jesus elevated them, gave them an importance that they didn't have. And those who thought they were important, Jesus was like, actually, no, it's, as David would say, God, it's a broken and contrite heart that you don't despise. And then just the ways that, that Jesus forces us to deal with our own brokenness the ways that we're cut to the heart when brought face to face with the reality of the life that is made possible with Jesus. Simeon highlights what the ministry of Jesus will look like and even warns Mary about the pain that she will experience. Then the prophetess, Anna, she was a widow. And in that time, the, the, the life of a widow was incredibly difficult, incredibly difficult. And yet she didn't allow her circumstances to create in her this, this bitterness toward God or this cynicism toward God. If anything, it made her lean into and draw closer to God. And she, she did so by being present in the temple, present in the place where the presence of God was believed and understood to be. And she did so by fasting. And, and so we see in, in these two people, Simeon and Anna, these, these practices that allowed them to recognize and to see and understand clearly what God was doing and to celebrate what God was doing and then to proclaim to others what God was doing. So, so it's their, their posture that makes possible their proclamation. 
It's their posture before the Lord and a hunger for the things of God. It's a willingness to spend concentrated time with the Lord in prayer. It's a willingness to spend time studying the scriptures. It's a willingness to fast. And so for us, as we as we consider, like, what was all of this for? And then consider the promise that is held out for us, that, that God's kingdom is here, that one thing is drawn up next to another. Next to the kingdom of this earth, we see this other kingdom unfolding and continuing to grow. And it's the kingdom of God, this kingdom that will one day be fulfilled when Christ returns. And, and what if we, like Simeon and Anna, lived like we believed we would see this happen in our lifetime? Imagine how things begin to change and the things that we spend so much time and energy worrying about all of a sudden kind of fall to the wayside or they pale in comparison because the thing that we are so focused on and concerned with is, hey, I believe that we could see Jesus return and we live our lives to that end. And well, what if he doesn't? What if I've wasted my time? Is it really time wasted? Working and participating in what God is doing in this world and inviting others into the hope that, hey, this is not all there is. There's more. And it's going to be made possible by one who loves you far beyond what you could ever imagine in your life. So I don't want to offer directives to us and say, here's how we need to start the year in prayer, in scripture reading, in worship, in fasting. But consider the fact that these two sought the presence of God in the temple because they believed and understood that's where God dwelt. They wanted to be where God was. And then consider how we, in our lives, make our own little temples because we're looking for something to fulfill us. We're looking for something to give us direction. We're looking for something to give us an identity or purpose. Or gosh, we're just looking for something to just numb us from the pain. And so many of us have these well-worn paths to these little temples that we've erected in our own lives. When all the while, the thing we are looking for is not a temporary fix, but it is an eternal security in the work and presence of God in our own lives. And so as we end one year and begin another, I I would invite you to consider what does the role of prayer play in your life? What does the the role of scripture reading uh, play in your life? What does the role of fasting uh, play in your life? And and simply an opportunity, if you were to consider like the, the, you know, the practice for the people of God was to fast from food. It's an opportunity to say to your flesh, hey, you're you're actually not in control. There's one who is. And and so I want to feel the, the pain of hunger and in that, not to reach for the next thing that will temporarily satisfy me, but instead to reach for the one who will give me eternal fulfillment. Now, you could leave here saying, I'm going to read the Bible more, I'm going to pray at least an hour a day, and I'm going to fast one day a week. That's fantastic. But what happens when the, the motivation of like being in this space and, and you know being before the open word, what happens when that motivation begins to run out? Rather than thinking of the thing that you would like to do, begin to think instead of who you'd like to become. I want to be more like Christ. I want to be more like Simeon or more like Anna. There's a a book that I've been reading, and I'll close with this. Um, 
uh, Atomic Habits. Maybe a lot of you have, uh, several of you have read it um, by James Clear. And, he, and he, he kind of deals with this idea of like we all have these things we want to do, these goals, right? Um, but rather than think about how do I just get from here to the goal, like how do I go from, you know, couch to marathon, Think of the process that it takes to, to get there. And rather than thinking, I want to run a marathon, instead think, I want to become a runner. And, and he says, start with just something really simple. Like if you want to become a runner, then start by lacing up your running shoes. And then just say, you can sit on the couch, but put your running shoes on, lace them up. Start there. And then maybe the next day, put your running shoes on, lace them up, and then just step outside. And then you go sit back down. And then maybe the next day you go for a walk around the block. You've laced your shoes up, you've gone outside, you've gone for a walk around the block. Maybe you jog the length of the block. But you begin to become and practice the thing that you want to become. And, and so for us, it's about identity as people who seek and desire the heart and the presence of God. And all of us, I believe, would say we want to grow in that. But rather than aiming and setting these lofty goals and ignoring the work of the Holy Spirit in the process, what if you just begin tomorrow by saying, you know, for five minutes, I'm going to just sit in silence. I'm not even going to say words. I just want to sit before the presence of the Lord. God, would you speak? Or or maybe I'm going to begin by just reading a a chapter in the Bible or just a, a paragraph. Or maybe Psalm 23, that familiar psalm for us. Or maybe I, I won't fast a meal, but I'll fast a snack. Like a snack that I'm used to having in my day, I'll just fast that. The beauty of considering those practices and the things that help us grow in our relationship with the Lord is God knows for each of you what that area of growth would be that we might be more like Simeon and Anna, hungry for the presence of God, attuned to the Holy Spirit, that we might be proclaimers of what God is up to and what God is doing in the lives of others and in this world. May that be our pursuit as a church in the year to come. Amen. Amen. Stand with me. Let me pray for us and we'll close in worship.